This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to another Gangplank Report. You've heard Adrian and Jen talk about the most recent episode of this hit Bravo series. Now it's time to hear from you, the super fans. It's time for the bonus episode of the Gangplank Report. And here they are, Adrian Gang and Jennifer Bennington. Hey guys, welcome back to another special edition of Gangplank Report. We have a very unique super fan interview today. Not only is she a massive below deck fan and has been from the beginning, she is also one of the most accomplished people that I personally have gotten to know in the yachting industry. You have heard her name and many of you might not believe that she's a real person, but we are here to introduce you to Norma, who has made a little bit of a cameo, although not in appearance, I don't think, just in phone calls many times on Below Deck Mediterranean and is one of Sandy's good friends as well. So I'm very excited to introduce you all to the real Norma. Hi, Adrian. It's such a pleasure to be here with you. I'm so glad you're here, and I'm so glad that you get to meet Jen. Jen did a serious deep dive on you to brush herself up before we started this interview, and she found out more stuff about you than even I knew, so some of it was a surprise to me, but I'm excited to have you get to know our fan base and for them to get to know you, because I feel like you're definitely somebody worth knowing. Well, that's great of you to say so. And as you know, Adrian, since the very first season when you were on Below Deck, contrary to what a lot of other people in the real yachting industry think, I've always been a big fan of Below Deck. I think anything that introduces our wonderful world of yachting to the real world and gives people even a glimpse of what it's all about is a good thing. And, you know, my interest in the yachting world has always been professional crew. And let's face it, it doesn't look easy on below deck or below deck med or below deck sailing yacht because it's not easy, but there's a lot of real career opportunities in the real world of yachting. So definitely I'm not somebody that disses below deck. I love it. And I love all the captains on it too. I think it's been a really interesting turn of events, especially I've noticed Over the last handful of years, a lot of people who were staunchly anti-below deck at the beginning have started to soften because they've seen what the long-term impacts have been. Yes, it's brought a lot of new people to the industry, which by the way, we always need, but it's also brought a lot of charter guests. It's brought a lot of awareness to owners, I think, and brokers and agents that might not have actually been crew themselves to really see what it is that we do. For a lot of these people that I've dealt with in the periphery of the industry, they've never worked on a boat themselves before, and they think that what we do is easy. And I think that Below Deck has done a really good job of shining a light on how difficult the job actually has the potential to be sometimes. And I appreciate that. And I feel like that's what you're saying too. Some of it's a good example of what not to do, let's be honest, but we need some of that too, especially for the drama on the show. It also has been a really good opportunity to see what 
yacht crew actually puts up with a lot of the time in these situations that might not necessarily translate to a broker or an owner or a crew specialist. So I'm interested to get your take. Well, obviously I love Below Deck because, you know, I like good reality TV and it's about as good as it gets. And I like Below Deck because it's about yachting and yachting is a huge part of my own personal identity and something that I value highly. And you're right, it does bring people into it. It is over-dramatized. It's definitely television. And people in the industry that criticize Below Deck criticize it mainly because they think it makes it look trashy. Well, the reality is, I think anyone with any common sense would understand that normally people don't have two and three day charters with less than 24 hour turnarounds. They don't have people that are filling them full of alcohol. They don't necessarily put people on board that don't have the experience that they should have only because they look good. But that's the TV part of it. And Captain Sandy said one time, and I think it's absolutely perfect. Every single thing that she has seen happen on Below Deck And that the rest of us have enjoyed watching on Below Deck has actually happened. It just doesn't all happen within a six-week period or on one short charter. So it's definitely dramatized. And one thing that that show really does portray accurately is how difficult it is to work on a yacht. And definitely, Adrian, you're right. We're always in a situation where we're trying to attract new people to work on yachts especially in the current market situation, the shortage of American crew is dire. Yeah. I still do crew placement on a consultancy basis. I primarily work with owners and a very few captains, people I've known a long time. And we're all saying the same thing. What are we going to do? It's a problem as an industry to bring enough people into it. And even if you go out and you recruit at maritime colleges or universities or high schools, not everybody that hears about yachting is going to end up being a successful crew person. So everybody that comes into yachting because of below deck is not going to work out, but there's always going to be a percentage of them that do. So I say, bring it on. We, the more, the (laughs) merrier. Yeah. I think some people idealize what it is and that might be because of the show, but also because of the lifestyle that it allows and then they realize that they don't want to be away from home that long or that they actually get homesick, you know, or that they realize they want to pursue whatever their previous education line was. And I think that sometimes people just look at it and go, you know what, the stress of this isn't worth it. I want to go back home or I want to no go back doubt. to school. And that's another one of the things that makes working on yachts so incredibly difficult. It is at its most basic, extremely dehumanizing to work on a yacht. Yes, you're working cheek and jowl with people from other nationalities, and that can be a joy or that can be stressful, but you're working at someone else's complete direction. They tell you what to wear. They tell you what to eat and when to eat it. They tell you whether you can go home for your grandmother's 90th birthday or your high school reunion or your sister's wedding because you might have a charter. So all of those things can become very difficult and it takes a really special kind of person to be able to work on a yacht. It might in fact be a little easier to do six weeks of a pressure cooker like below deck on TV than it is to work an entire season when it might not be quite as intense, but the stresses are still basically the same. Right, Adrian? Oh, absolutely. I've freelanced for years. There's lots of reasons behind that. One is that I do want to make my own schedule and not be beholden to somebody else's. When I was working permanently on yachts and full-time on a specific yacht, 
it was really difficult. And I missed a lot of really important things that I wish I hadn't. The one season that I was getting ready to go to the med at the beginning of the summer, my grandfather got really sick and I decided not to take that trip and go to the Mediterranean. And I'm grateful that I didn't, even though I was really excited about it because he ended up passing halfway through that summer and I would have missed being there for that. And he was somebody that was really important to me. So I think sometimes you are torn between the professional and the personal. And that's a lot more difficult in a situation like what we're talking about when you're half a world away and something really important happens to the people in your life and you might not be able to be there for it. I think that's what really opened my eyes to, you know what, this has been a really amazing run of working permanently on boats and having my lodging covered and most of my expenses covered, but what is the trade-off for that? And I think, you know, getting into a little bit of your personal history, you worked on yachts for years and then decided to go land-based. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. I know Jen did a whole bunch of research. I was just going to say in my deep dive, one of the most interesting things I found out about you, Norma, was how you were able to parlay your networking contacts from being in yachting. And you were a yacht chef like Adrian and how you parlayed that into other opportunities that were still affiliated with yachting, be it creating crew network, which grew to be the largest crew agency in the world with seven offices worldwide, or using your journalist background and writing and merging your experiences into entrepreneurial opportunities for yourself and for other people by creating these industries off of the yachting industry. Well, Jen, I mean, I have to say, like many people, I didn't have any clue that my career in yachting was going to take me from being taken out on my best friend's dad's sailboat when I was 14 years old and falling head over heels with sailing Mm -hmm. in the Chesapeake Bay and then doing sailing when I was in high school and college. And I did a transatlantic when I was 17, you know, but mm -hmm. that was all just fun and games. When I graduated from college, I went to go work on my first yacht full time. And I spent 10 very happy years traveling the world as a charter chef, power and sail. In those days, I traveled a lot more than most crew had. I did Caribbean and Mediterranean seasons. And then I decided that I had a couple of great Captain boyfriends, you know, the proverbial one in every port and one of them that I saw <laughs> in more than one port, but it wasn't the same. And that's a big problem in the yachting world is it's very difficult, very, very difficult to establish personal relationships and strong love relationships. And I wanted a boyfriend. And so I moved home to Fort Lauderdale. My sister and I had bought a house already. Thank goodness. Big step that I recommend every single crew person to do. Crew people with mortgages are better crew people. That's one of my isms. <laughs> it's a goodism. <laughs> it is, and it's true, I can tell you. Anyway, I said, what am I going to do? You know, I mean, I'd done some business when I was in college and worked in a hotel for a while and done some waitressing and cooked on yachts for 10 years. And I said, you know, something I know a lot of people from all these ports I've been to, and everybody's so nice. And I had been really not treated correctly or in a business-like way by a crew agency in Fort Lauderdale. And I said, you know something, I can do it better than that. So I took my $21,000 that I had saved as a yacht chef. I thought it was a lot of money. I had no idea that it wasn't anything like enough to start a business with. But by then, I'd already rented an office on 17th Street. And that was my first office, Worldwide Yachting Services, the crew network. 
And by the time I sold it to Fraser Yachts, 12 years later, I still had that office plus offices in Antibes and Palma de Mallorca and the UK and New Zealand and other places. Then it was called the Crew Network Worldwide Yachting Services, and it still is going on today. And during that time, I started writing for magazines because I couldn't afford advertising for my company. It was such a small company. But when we started in business, we used to... Let me see if I can remember how far back that went. We used to FedEx CVs to captains. Mm -hmm. Then, oh my gosh, when we got a fax machine, that was a big step forward. Right. <laughs> we decided not to get a telex when we first opened it, thank goodness, because we didn't know how fast things were going to go. But I was one of the first companies that had a digital database because I'd had a computer background in my college job. And we were the first business that set up an online database for our crew. And that made the big difference. And it also really helped with my journalism career because I was able to learn things like that by meeting people. And what I wrote about in my journalism career was the people and the events of yachting. So I would go to boat shows. I would go sailing in big boat regattas. I mean, I have sailed in more bucket regattas and other kinds of big boat regattas all over the world. It's one of my very favorite hobbies. And you meet all those people, you know, and all they want to talk about is what they're doing on their boats. They like it when you're writing about them. They like it when you're sailing with them. They like it when you're getting them jobs. They're like it when you can get them crew and you put all of those things together. And all of a sudden you have a career that nobody expected. Right. So I encourage anybody, you've got an idea of something you can do in the yacht world. I say, just go for it because it's still growing. Right. I started joining organizations from the very beginning. And that was kind of a personal thing with me. I come from a family of joiners. So the first group I joined was the International Super Yacht Society. Mm -hmm. And that was 30 years ago. We just last week celebrated our 30-year retrospective of giving out awards to the yachts and the people of yachting. Amazing. And I've been on the board for over 20 years and now I'm board member emeritus. And that was an opportunity for me to meet the next level of the yachting industry. That is the people that own the shipyards, the people that run the shipyards, the builders, the owners, interior architects, so on and so forth. And again, that is another way, you know, they say in business that the way to succeed is to have as many of your overlapping circles as possible. Right, right. And the yachting industry offers a tremendously special opportunity to work that way and to build business and to build a personal business. You don't have to be cookie cutter like everybody else to succeed in the business of yachting, whether you're on board or whether you're ashore, because the circles are very fluid and the yachting industry is all about communications. The mm -hmm. jungle drums beat loudly. Yeah. Well, and speaking of all of that, I know that you have just recently received a Lifetime Achievement Award from ACRU, which is very cool. Jen and I listened to your acceptance speech earlier, which I thought was awesome. And we'll put the link up for that because I think that's a really cool, real brief, obviously, summation of all of your accomplishments in the yachting industry, but it's still very impressive to narrow it down to that brief amount of time. I'm not sure that I know anybody else in the yachting industry that's had the kind of impact that you have. So the fact that it took you this long to get a lifetime achievement award, <laughs> but I'm glad it finally happened because I can't think of anybody else that deserves it more. It's funny to me 
that people that watch Below Deck don't think that you're real. I've had this conversation <laughs> a multitude of times on Reddit and Twitter and other places. They're like, yeah, whatever. Norma's a production plant. And I'm like, no, no. Norma's a real person. I promise. <laughs> you're the busiest plot device that ever was created. <laughs> oh, I love that. It's so funny, Adrian. You're the first person that ever told me that anybody questioned whether Norma was real or not. Yeah. And I think it's great. <laughs> and I take that as a real compliment, not only from Captain Sandy, but from the production team at Below Deck. I've done some work with them for Below Deck Med, some location scouting, some introductions of people and resources, especially in France. And the fact that they are willing to actually use my name on screen the first time I saw it, oh my God. My husband and I laugh like crazy. I think it's funny. <laughs> but, you know, it, the reality is it goes back to what I was saying earlier. Uh, in yachting, it's easy to know a lot about different aspects of it. And whether it's crew or whether it's other things, Sandy and I have been very good friends and professional colleagues and shipmates for over 20 years. And she calls me for all kinds of stuff. In fact, her nickname for me is asknorma.com. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. In fact, she owns the domain name and won't <laughs> give it to me. <laughs> That's hilarious. That is so funny. In all of this, we haven't even gotten yet to the Salamanca group and what you did with your consultancy on the Marina Port Bell. Oh, yes. Well, I've been fortunate to be involved in a lot of things that have given me and my causes a certain amount of exposure. I don't want to say notoriety, although some people would say that, too. Who was it that called <laughs> you the infamous Norma Therese? Well, <laughs> when we sold Doc Walk to BI, I was given a call by Martin Redmayne to work for him and start a magazine called The Crew Report. So it was The Yacht Report. You probably know that. So I started The Crew Report for him. And when he introduced me editorially, he said, that, you know, most of you out there will probably already know the infamous Norma Trace. <laughs> and I had to look it up just to assure myself. And ever since then, and I had to point out to Martin Redmayne that I hoped he had made a mistake because, you know, that he meant famous because infamy means possessing a reputation of the very worst kind. <laughs> Well, that is um, not you for sure. No, I don't think so. I spent five uh, really interesting, super dynamic years with the Yacht Report group. I really enjoyed that. You know, Martin Redmayne is a famously and infamously difficult businessman, but very successful. You know, he started out as a steward. So that was good. So anyway, you know, unfortunately, working as a journalist, although it's a great deal of fun and everybody loves you, it's not a very good way to earn a living. And Traveling around the world going to yacht events is expensive. Right. So I started getting people asking me for business advice. And I'd done a lot of education. So I was working with my great friends at FedShip and helping them. I had chaired a couple of seminars for them and spoken and everything. And I was helping them do location scouting actually in France. And Hein Velema that worked for them at the time said, you know, Norma, you spend so much time working for us. You know that we're perfectly happy to pay you for this it's called consulting <laughs> nice and I said oh my god hi and that's what's such a he says I'll pay you 50 euros an hour I said done <laughs> <laughs> and it was such a great idea I mean you know I'm telling you I was an innocent in the world of business 
when I started out in the business of yachting, which is a good thing because yachting is constantly evolving. So if you can have that kind of a mentality, it helps. Mm -hmm. But, you know, of course, my lovely meeting of the minds and all the years I spent with FedShip, I also spent nine years as chairman of the Azimut Benetti Yacht Masters and other ones, which is always fun because I could do that one in Italian. And I love that. Yeah. So anyway, then I had clients that came to me because they met me at various things. So my first consultancy client was the first call, which is a super high-end remote telemedicine company associated with Royal Aberdeen Infirmary. Then the next big one was Only Yacht. And uh, that was started by the owner of Swiss Courtage. And I helped him start that from the beginning. One of the largest yacht insurance companies now, and one of the very first creators of dedicated crew insurance policy. I'm so proud of that. Which is very cool and much needed, obviously. Oh, yeah. It took forever, too. For a long, long, long time. After I had actually finished with Only Yacht, they would sell crew insurance policies at absolutely no money in order to get clients in, which I thought was fantastic. I convinced them that that's what they needed to do. And owners are happy enough to take care of their crew in that fundamental way. If somebody gives it to them for free, then they're even happier, you know? Right, <laughs> right. And then out of the blue, a yacht broker friend of mine called me and said, I've got somebody I want you to meet. What are you doing today? I happen to be having a champagne lunch with two captain's wives and auntie. I said, as soon as we finish with this bottle, I'll come over and meet you. Whatever you say, Jim. (laughs) And it turned out that I met one of the principals of Salamanca Group. And Salamanca Group was an English capital firm out of London. And they had a history of accomplishing large infrastructure projects, things like railroads and shopping centers and stuff. And they had fallen on an opportunity, coincidentally enough, given to them. This is another example of the circles of yachting. The opportunity was brought to them by that lovely young lady, Abby Wallace, now called Abby Wallace McGraw or McGrath, depending where you're from. She is also the founder of A Crew. Very smart young Mm. lady. So she lived in Barcelona, knew that this marina, which was derelict, sitting in the original inner harbor of Barcelona, the harbor that was originally developed for the Olympics in Barcelona, needed an infusion of cash and magic. And so Salamanca Group got their hands on it and then realized they didn't know anything about yachting. So they found me and I spent five years with them developing and building Marina Port Vale. They were fantastic. They were so great about taking, they knew nothing about yachting. So they were sponges besides being super smart people, of course, you know, and they, what they knew about money and security and building all kinds of things I didn't have a clue about. So we did things like uh, put together a think tank of captains, uh, over 200 captains, and we hired a company to actually do an analysis based on the questions and the interactions with those captains to truly determine what it was that the market. So it wasn't just captains, it was also owners and brokers. And it was phenomenal, that study. It took us about six months and it cost a mint. MDL out of the UK did that. I learned a lot along that process. You know, you see what I mean? The yachting industry offers you opportunities to learn as it grows. So anyway, eventually uh, we built it and my job became dealing with people that wanted to buy the really beautiful super yacht berths that we had built and the great facilities and the award-winning buildings in the inner harbor of Barcelona. And I was a history major in college. It gave me the opportunity to learn an awful lot about the history of Barcelona so that I could relay the special magic of that to my clients. And it was a pretty big success. For me, it was a huge success for the yachting world, an even bigger success. 
huge success for Barcelona from everything I've read as well. They- Absolutely. It really helped kickstart the, the resurgence of Barcelona as we're right next door to MB92, absolutely world-class shipyard, which since then has become a refit yard for fed ship for Lurs and so on and so forth. We could go into a lot of different things about what makes the magic of a, a business to succeed in yachting. But anyway, I love those years. I learned how to make really big things happen. I learned how to have an unlimited budget for promotion and make that work, which really helps a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And as I've learned in every single business that I've been a part of in that is when you bring excellence to the yachting industry for something that is appropriate it works right and that's what I can tell all of my clients we talk about the old school part of yachting and I came into it so I would have started yachting really in 2008 Mm-hmm. And I think the golden age or the good old years, I heard so many crazy stories about things that happened before I broke into the industry as a chef. And I just find it really fascinating. I mean, you were there for all of that. Between you and Ginger Hornaday, I feel like you guys could really write the history of yachting at this juncture. But, <laughs> you know, for what it's yeah, worth. Well, I, she's done a great job of being able to make sure that her business interests were able to slot into her position in the yachting industry. And again, what I'm trying to say is that the amount of opportunities available within the extremely large circle of yachting are virtually unlimited. And that's something that makes whatever sacrifices they're involved in it absolutely worthwhile. Incredibly enough, I still work as a consultant and I still work as a crew agent. And not too long ago during the lockdown, Last year, I spent a blissful five months working again as a yacht chef. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's amazing to me, I'm still, now I've had three decades in the business end of yachting after my decade as a professional onboard yachts person. And my business career in yachting has been even more vibrant and exciting and diverse than, than my onboard career was. And that's what I think is really important about yachting is it offers you continuous opportunities, you know, and the fact that almost 40 years later that I can go back to working on a yacht, providing fantastic meals to a crew in need during lockdown, which is how I started my career 40 years ago, and at the same time still be able to do business. My latest client is an utterly fantastic cybersecurity and maritime risk management company called IMSA. And so what I'm trying to say is that the great circles of yachting offer so many opportunities for people. And I hope that people understand that it's really easy to get frustrated and say there's a lack of structure You know, there's not enough of a direct career path, but it's there. If you're the kind of person that can make it and you're independent and you want to do your own thing and you can take advantage of opportunities, the yachting industry offers all of that. And I'd like people that come into it, whether they come in as a deckhand or whether they come in as an entry level person in somebody's office 
the sky's the limit because the yachting industry only continues to grow. And that is such a beautiful thing. Yeah. And you are definitely proof of that from Asuncion to Paris to Fairfax County to Fort Lauderdale. (laughs) um, We've only touched the surface, but part of why you're here today and what we wanted to give you the opportunity to do Unfortunately, we lost Captain Mark over the weekend, and you are family friends with them. And some of the reports that were put out were misleading, and we wanted to give you a chance to speak on behalf of the family and straighten out some of what I saw as insinuation and give a clearer picture. Okay. I'd really like to kind of put it in the context of the greater yachting picture. The reality is that If you spend a few years in yachting, much less many, many years in yachting as I have done and as Captain Mark Woody Howard did, Mm -hmm. you form those close bonds that I talked about that have made me be able to succeed in my business career and, and be able to help people as much as I've been able to. And so in times of need like this, when somebody has a terrible, tragic accident in his home, Mm-hmm. The kind of thing that nobody can ever understand because it's just so bizarre. The yachting industry pulls together. His wife, Susan, who I've known many years, wrote me the day after they had taken his body away and asked me to do what I have done for many, many people. Adrian has seen it. I am all too often called on to write obituaries and tributes of the people in the yachting industry because I know so many of them personally and because I have a far reach. And sometimes people want to make sure that when someone is being honored, that they are being honored as far and as wide as possible. And in fact, in the case of Captain Mark Howard, my guesstimate is that we have reached well over 3,000 people simply from my own social media feeds in the nicest, most honorable way that he deserved. Mm -hmm. He had a tragic accident in his home. And as in any case, when there's going to be an accident, of course, police had to be called and there's going to be an autopsy. And yes, indeed, that always leaves a question. And I think, unfortunately, the slightly insinuating tone starting with TMZ and the other outlets, was less than flattering and very unkind. They spoke to me. TMZ called me and talked to me about him. And I gave those same kind of honorable, truthful, loving commentary and told them what the outpouring of those sentiments had been towards Susan and towards all the many people that worked with him and loved him. Did they put any of that in those articles? No, they didn't. No, just the sensational stuff, which is bullshit. Well, this is the difference between the yachting industry and the heart of the yachting industry. And the lovely Captain Mark Howard was at the heart of the yachting industry. I can tell you that. He was loved. He gave back. He was a true seaman. He traveled the world. He attended seminars. He joined organizations. He loved his wife. He was loved by his crew. He was a beautiful, wonderful guy. And then, because of the fact that he spent one season with Below Deck, now they take advantage of that and they twist it. And this is what is the downside of all of these things that make it sometimes a little bit hard to support. Right. Well, and I think because there was so little information at the beginning, and that was really the first thing that anybody saw it obviously makes a strong impression and obviously not the kind of impression that you want 
to have lasting. And I think that that's what my consternation was from the get-go. And then talking to you a couple of days later and being like, oh, okay, well, that wasn't obviously the whole story. And all three of us read the same article and all three of us had different impressions of what happened. And I think that is the problem. Well, that was the point of why they wrote those articles that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no, I'm a journalist. I know how it is. I know how you can slant stuff. Of right. course, I would never write that kind of thing. It's terrible. It's heartbreaking. He was honored by the right people that really cared in the right way. And the rest of it, as my husband said this, the rest of it is like a pebble in the ocean. It made some ripples, but who the hell cares if it was on Fox for 30 seconds? None of those people knew Mark or cared about Mark, and they're never going to think about it. The people that knew him and cared about him have been able to honor him and see the word. And I've read every single one of those responses of the people that responded to my post, to my shares, to my Insta, to my Twitter, to my LinkedIn. And that's what really matters. Exactly. I agree. And I'm glad that you have the opportunity to speak out about this because they did turn it into clickbait and no one's life should be summed up that way. No, Um, I agree. Mark was what I call a super captain. Mm -hmm. He was more than just a guy that drove a shiny white boat. He was a true to the life mariner. That guy crossed big blue oceans on very large yachts. He was a port sheriff in his hometown in California. As I said before, I met him when he came to one of the Fedship meeting of the mines that I used to run. He was building Huntress at the time. And when the yachting dried up for a while, he went and worked on commercial ships. He was the real deal, this guy. Right. I knew him. He would get dressed up and come to things like International Super Yacht Society so that he could get into a situation where he could shake hands and be known by name by the highest level of business people in yachting. So he was the real deal. And any intimation that he was otherwise or that there was anything wrong with what happened is nothing but disrespectful. Right. I agree. Well, I'm glad that you got to clear that up. Please offer our condolences to his family. I only knew him through TV. I know that Adrian had a better knowledge of him and Tiffany, who's a friend of the show, got to work with him. I know Tiffany. Yeah, Yeah, but we sincerely send our condolences to the family. I'm glad you set the record straight and I hope that we've honored him properly here. Thank you. Me too. It's important. You know, it's a very sad duty that I've ended up with this of, in effect, being one of the main obituarists of the yachting industry. And I take that responsibility incredibly seriously. And that's why people respond to it. This is an industry that, I mean, I say it to people a lot, and this is really true. Yachting is the gift that keeps on giving. Mm -hmm. Not only can you have a great career, but you can establish relationships of a depth and duration and ability to travel across the continents that maybe other industries have, but I don't know too many of them that ever say things like that. Right. So to be able to have something that happens that affects everybody, Mm -hmm. when it's sad, something like Mark, we can all mourn together and honor him. When it's something wonderful like a Fed ship winning 18 of the last 30 years of the International Super Yacht Society Large Yacht Awards, Mm-hmm. At our 30-year gala. I mean, that was pretty darn awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and from a personal level, to be given a very deep honor of something like the 
A Crew Lifetime Achievement Award, voted upon by more than 15,000 crew people worldwide, is about the most profound honor I can think of. And the yachting industry allows all of those things. And then beyond that, the rest of the world can watch it on below deck and have a really good time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, we really appreciate you sharing your time with us. If people want to get a hold of you, I believe your handle is at Norma Treese, T-R-E-A-S-E on Twitter and Insta. Yep, that would be me. Okay. I do have one. I keep telling you, I don't only have one more thing, but there's something else that's really important I need to talk about. Okay. I have another catchphrase. Besides, yachting is the gift that keeps on giving, and it is, and I'm here to tell you that as clearly as anybody else has ever been able to. But also, I like to say something that we all need to keep in mind and we need to exercise, the power of yachting to do good. Yes. Because the power of yachting to do good, everything from the owner's who need to feel and want to feel better and more invested in this beautiful world that is their greatest joy and probably the most expensive thing they own, to the business people who profit from it, and even to the crew people that sail upon the beautiful blue ocean that needs preserving. All of them, I think, have a duty and a responsibility to exercise the power of yachting to do good, whether it's something small like cleaning a beach or giving books to students in a local school that you might go to, anything local, or whether it's something much larger. I've been on the board of directors of Yade Global for many years, and we have been able to affect pretty incredible things when we have responded to disasters like Hurricane Dorian in the Bahamas and Cyclones yep. in Vanuatu and all of the other things we do. I'm also very involved in the International Sea Keepers Society, which is unbelievable in the amount of not only small activities, again, like cleaning beaches and doing dives and so on, but that is very, very important in the research of the health of our oceans and reaches scientists and yacht owners and philanthropists at yet another level from any of us directly in the yachting industry, except that those people touch us because they're a part of our overlapping circles. So between all of us, from the deckhand to the builder, to the yacht owner, to the movie producer who is doing things and to the scientist at Scripps Oceanographic, all of us can participate in the power of yachting to do good. And I'm telling you, we have only scratched the surface of what yachting is actually able to accomplish. And I hope I'm around to see the power of yachting to do good grow exponentially. Well, I think you'll not only be around, I think you'll be spearheading a lot of it because you have <laughs> touched the industry in such a major way. And again, we're grateful that you gave us your time. People, she's real. She is not a plot device. She's making huge marks in the world of yachting and in the world at large. And thank you so much, Norma, for coming on to Gangplank and sharing with us. We appreciate it. Thank you. It's my great pleasure and wonderful to meet you too, Jen. You're a great example of the kind of things that I encourage my crew friends to do. And that is make sure that as you're working in the yacht world, that you use every opportunity you can to expand what you're doing now so that you can take it into the real world with you. So congratulations, Adrian. I love Gangplank.
Oh, well, thank you. I'm so glad that we were able to have you. I very much look forward to grabbing a glass of champagne with you the next time I'm down in Fort Lauderdale. Well, that sounds great. I never say no to that. I'm so jealous. (laughs) Okay. Now that you're done with Barcelona, you need to find a way to make Cincinnati a yacht port. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I can't say this. I've ever been, the only place I've ever been in Ohio is Cleveland. Cincinnati's in Ohio, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yep, it is. (laughs) And Adrian's very happy. All right. Thank you so much, Norma. Really appreciate it. You're very welcome. My great pleasure. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Special thanks to our friends who helped us create Gangplank Report. Down below music and lyrics by Angel Tweeter Frail and Terry Abbott. Performed by Lorelei of Florida. Production assistance by Michael Castaneda. Super fan intro by Blind Lawrence. Cast off me hearties.